The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, we talk with Chris Romig, commercialization lead at NASA Johnson Space Center, and Dr. Julie Lomara, a faculty member in the Outdoor Product Design and Development Program. We talk about a recent design thinking project where OPDD students were challenged to take NASA materials and find new applications in the sports and outdoor industries. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase, and uh, joining me today, uh, two guests, uh, Chris Romig, uh, Commercializations uh, Services Lead at NASA Johnson Space Center, and Dr. Julie Lamara, a faculty member here in OPDD. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, wanted to have you both on because um, you both wrapped up an incredible project in one of our classes, Julie, in, in one of your classes in particular. And uh, wanted to do a little debrief and just kind of get your thoughts on how you both felt like it went. It was a pretty unique project, and and we'll get into some of that today. But Chris, do you mind just sharing a, a little bit about your role with NASA um, in particular? I think that'll help set the stage for um, what the project ended up being. Yeah, sure, Chase. So my role at NASA is really I am the commercialization services lead or technology transfer officer at NASA's Johnson Space Center. Um, Myself and my team are responsible for really being custodians of all the intellectual property, the inventions, innovations, software development that comes out of the human spaceflight program at Johnson Space Center. And the goal of the tech transfer program across the agency is to get NASA's technology broadly out into the world as much as we can. So we do that through a lot of different mechanisms, through things like licensing agreements, working with academic institutions, giving students access to NASA technologies to do uh, the very things that Dr. Lamar and her, her class was doing this semester. So that's that's broadly it, is get NASA tech uh, out into the world. That's great. What types of technologies are we talking about? I, we'll get into the specific ones used in this project, but what's the, the breadth of materials and technologies that you're dealing with? Yeah, so we have them uh, divided into 15 separate technical categories ranging from materials and coatings to robotic systems, rocket engine technology, aircraft technology, computer software, um, you you name it pretty much. If if NASA's working on that kind of tech, we've got it broadly available for everybody. That's great. So So that's where some people might think, okay, Rocket technology, outdoor product design, where's the connection? Um, I think we'll get into what materials crossed over here in a little bit. But Julie, do you mind sharing a little bit about your class, design thinking, and what you, well, how you wanted to incorporate a real world project into the class? 
Right. So um, I taught design thinking uh, for our juniors in our program. And design thinking is really a methodology that students and people go through when thinking about how they're going to kind of approach or um, come to a solution for a design problem. Um, and I taught a human-centered approach to design, which is all about finding out who the person is that this design is going to be made for, what are their pain points, uh, what are the things that they need to do to achieve pure comfort or um, accessibility into the realm in which they are going to be using this product in. And I pair that along with an activity-centered approach because if when we're thinking about the outdoor product world, we're thinking about designing products that can give access to sport in the outdoors. So that means that the people that are using these things not only have to be safe, they have to be comfortable, and they have to have the ergonomic capability to do the activity in which they are they are seeking. So it's really a research-based approach to design and it doesn't take a very linear process even though the process seems very linear when you start with empathy and then you define down the problem statement then you start ideating and prototyping and testing it all kind of gets mushed around and um, moves kind of in a non-linear space and it always comes back to the human it always comes back to the human doing the activity and what really needs to be solved within that space um so i i gave them a challenge and it was a really big challenge and um it was difficult for students initially to kind of wrap their heads around making a product for the outdoors and then infusing that product with a NASA tech. Um, so the, the, the challenge was simple. It was find a problem in the outdoors where people need innovation in a sport of some sort. You can pick whatever that is and infuse this NASA tech into this product to make it innovative, to make it accessible. Um, and then also thinking about, you know, affordability, feasibility. They didn't have their hands on the actual items um, or the, the materials, um, but they were really able to get a deep dive um, with these patents and finding out like, what are the capabilities of these materials? What are the specs of these materials? How much do they weigh? A lot of stu students actually focused on like ultralight um, activities. And so they were digging really deep into the specs of these items to make sure that they were within those ranges for ultralight um, specifications. And they had their patents out, they had a dictionary out. They were really just deep into understanding what this tech is, what it's capable of, and then how can it be beneficial in an outdoor recreational space where humans are involved and activity is also involved. So it was a really awesome project and I'm so glad that we did it because even though it was very, very difficult for students to wrap their head around it, when they finished, there was just this sense of accomplishment and joy that went along with it. And I do believe that they really did create something innovative. Um, 
in the pure sense of innovation where this was new, this was exciting, and uh, it solved a problem. How did you determine which materials you would present or make available for the students? Chris, I know NASA has hundreds, thousands of potential materials and technologies to use, not all of them directly applicable to outdoor products and and sport. Um, How did you two work together to figure out which ones would make most sense? I know, Julie, you kind of went through a... Uh, you know, an initial vetting and identified things that you thought would make most sense. But what did we, what did you end up on uh, on deciding and then which materials or how did the students select the material they wanted to use? So I, Chris gave me an initial list. It was a pretty extensive list of portfolio (laughs) of PDFs that I poured over. Um, And then I kind of curated down from there But when I presented these materials to the students, I let them know, like, this is not a comprehensive list. I didn't want to overwhelm them with, like, the whole entire portfolio that they did have access to. Um, So students were able to go through that list and then start to brainstorm on, like, where, what could this be used in? What is this actually for? Um, So their process actually started with understanding what materials were actually going to be available to them first. And then they started kind of going backwards and trying to find a space in the outdoor industry where these could be implemented in. So like I said before, it's a nonlinear process. It doesn't matter where you actually start. The process involves going back around to the human-centered needs or the activity-centered needs within the project. Um, What ended up happening with a couple of students is that they're like, I don't want to use just one product. I think that this project that I'm working on is going to need three. Can I use three? And I'm like, sure, go ahead, use three. Research three projects or three products. A few other groups that worked together um, decided that nothing that I had curated was going to meet the needs that they were looking for. So they went and took it upon themselves to take a deep dive into the larger portfolio of NASA and found some materials that I'm like, even Chris and I both kind of missed that worked wonderfully for their projects. So it was a little bit uh, more open-ended in that sense that I didn't give them a specific thing that they had to use and they had to to implement in a specific way. It was more, here are the things that I think will work well for this project. You may choose these. If these do not meet your needs, do not feel that you are beholden to this small space. You can kind of go above and beyond and you can go into a deeper dive, which actually a few groups ended up doing successfully. That's great. Chris, I know NASA initially approached the university to explore partnership opportunities. This is something that you've done in the past with other institutions. Um, what what intrigues you or, or is interesting to you about working with students um, on projects like this? Like, why, why do this? This is one more thing that you have to worry about. You've got a day job. Um, like, what, what is it about connecting with students and, and I guess connecting with our program in particular that was interesting? Yeah, no, it's a good question, Chase. And there's a number of answers, really, for me personally, you know, I've gone through uh, my own academic programs, you know, coming up through get my bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and always appreciated that connection with industry, even if it was something that I wasn't particularly interested in going and pursuing a job and just getting that real world practical application was always more inspiring or motivating sometimes than just the pure lecture side of my academic career. So that in and of itself is kind of a, you know, 
wanting to participate at that level. The other part of it, too, is really just trying to give some educational opportunities using NASA technology to students is just a, a great thing to give them an opportunity to grow, to evolve, to look at NASA tech in a different way. Um, maybe even give them some internship opportunities, right? So making these connections at the university level, there's a very strong um perspective around creating a pipeline of of new employees for the agency, talented, um, inspiring, creative individuals who want to come work in the space program. And so staying connected to academic institutions is one way that we do that. And, and that's always a great thing because you find talent in all these different programs across the country and different academic institutions and, and ways to make those connections to say, hey, have you actually ever thought about a career at NASA? And it may not be something you we're doing specifically for your program, but there are opportunities. Let's let's look at that. Maybe there's some internship opportunities that would be available. So, you know, that in and of itself is cool. Just kind of giving some some opportunities to students who maybe didn't think that they would ever be able to work for the U.S. space program. And if that's inspiring to a student or a team of students, then that's a huge win for for both me personally. Right, fills me up, but it also is a win for the agency. And honestly, the other part, which I think is just the coolest thing, um, is just the inspiring creative projects that the students come up with um you know taking technology that was originally developed for aircraft or spacecraft or living and working in space and seeing students like the opdd students from last week when we had the kind of exit briefings come up with some brilliant product ideas based on nasa tech you know and maybe has nothing to do with the space program but it was just super cool and very inspiring to see that creativity and and very practical applications of these space-based technologies for you know, markets here on earth so uh, that is just a really cool thing and so yeah that just keeps me pumping and wanting to keep doing this type of work because it's really it's fascinating to see that creativity how does NASA commercialization typically work? Do you usually have a company that's approaching you and says, we've been looking through your portfolio and we'd really like to take this technology or material and see if we could integrate it into what we're doing? Um, what, what, how does that typically work outside of you know this, this project? What does your day-to-day -day look like in that regard? And how are companies interacting with you to use your technologies? Yeah, no, day to day, my, my days are all over the place, depending on what's going on. But more often than not, it is a private company coming to us saying, hey, we've looked through your patent portfolio. We've got a little over 1,400 active patents across the agency in those 15 different domains I was telling you. So they'll, they'll be looking for a technology to solve a problem or create a new product or service, depending on what they have going on. They'll reach out to us. We have a concierge that helps them, you know, guide to the right NASA field center based on where the technology is from. It's not always easy to understand if you're just looking at the website, technology.nasa.gov, right? Yeah, it's just a lot of tech. And so, but each specific field center where the inventors are, right, will have more information and more um uh, yeah, just more technical information about that technology. So they'll reach out to us. That's a lot of the interaction. We have licensing managers. If the company's interested in licensing that technology for commercial applications, then we'll go through that process. Sometimes it's just a partnership opportunity or a collaboration or co-development opportunity where there's just mutual interest in a technical area. And, you know, our technical folks on the NASA side want to work with the outside entity and, you know, kind of, um, 
combine resources and continue to mature the technology. So that happens from time to time. And then the other part that we're starting to get into is working with incubators and accelerators. So it's less one-to-one company to NASA technology and more working with an organization who's already got a large network of startups, entrepreneurs who are looking to either start a new company or bolster their current product offerings, right? And then that incubator or accelerator will be that connect to the NASA portfolio. So we'll have that relationship with them. They'll say, hey, we're going to do a cohort looking at um, clean energy, right, or or agriculture. And so much like what we did, you know, with, um, with you all, we kind of <clears throat> take the list of technologies available and call it down to what's relevant for that particular cohort as best as we can, right? And we miss things all the time because we don't always know the end application. And so, you know, then we'll work with those incubators or accelerators and they'll do all the cohort work. They'll do all the pulling entrepreneurs together. And so that tends to be a better uh, fit for us is from a, you know, not a lot of resources on the NASA side doing this work, but if we've got someone with a broad network in the in the community or within the entrepreneurship community, then they can really help supercharge that. So it's not very different, actually, than what we did with you all at Utah State, right, which is you've got a cohort of students in a class where you've, you know, Julie, you've already looked at the portfolio of tech, you've kind of skinnied it down to something that's relevant, and then you ran the actual program for the semester and and that works really well. It helps us expose the most people as possible uh, to NASA technology. And it's really not a sales gimmick, right? The whole point is to let people know to create awareness around that NASA is accessible, right? It, the technologies are accessible. The inventors at times can be accessible. You know, the unique uh, facilities that we have can be accessible. And so breaking down those barriers to say, hey, it's your space program. How do you want to participate? And these are some great ways to get started with that. So day to day, it's a broad range of different activities and organizations that I engage with. But that's typically what it looks like. Yeah, I asked a, a little bit about how you engage with industry because I think a result of this, I'm jumping a little ahead, uh, ahead to some of the results, but I know we talked about plugging in an innovation team into the final presentations. And I don't know, I haven't gotten permission, so I don't know if I can say which which company we got involved, but um, safe to say a large sporter, sporting goods company um, uh, you know, participated in, in that they brought their innovation team and their innovation designers to hear the final presentations. And I think one of the things that we wanted to do to, do to connect the dots and, and hopefully see some of these projects become a reality was bring in a, a potential corporate partner that might want to see some of these projects through. Um, similar to what you're already doing day to day is maybe facilitate um, something like that or, or help an innovation team recognize, wow, NASA is accessible. Like, why aren't we doing this if, if we're not already um, and so I, I hope that we accomplish that. I think it's still early days and there's some potential opportunity to maybe see some projects uh, go a little further um, beyond just the final presentation. So I think certainly more to come there. But I think um, in future iterations of this, I think we, we all agree we'd like to see this happen again. Um, I think there's even more opportunity to connect the dots and 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 maybe even see some of these projects go a step further um, beyond a final presentation and and maybe you know co- connect with a company that could see it through. So definitely something that we have aspirations for. Um, I guess I, I shouldn't speak for for you, Julie, but is that is that something that that you're interested in? Is like seeing these students or you know connect them to an opportunity that could become more of a reality. 
I'm definitely on the same page as you, Chase. We've had that conversation plenty of times. I, um, I really want to give my students real world experience that's going to propel them into the industry, not only as just cogs in the wheel, but as leaders of innovation and of, of sustainability and of um, having a purpose of making more things in the world. Because as we all know, we there, there are a million backpacks out in the world. Why do I need this one that you have made? What makes it special? Uh, what is the thing that sets it apart from the group? And I push my students to really think about those real world applications. Is it feasible? Is it sustainable? Is it durable? Is it all of these these things that kind of come up and are you are, are you adding more to the problem or are you actually solving a problem? And so we talk a lot about wicked problems and how these ideas of you're trying to solve one problem, but you've actually created another problem on the back end. And that as a leader in this industry, you should never be working in isolation. You should never be working alone. And only the, you know, the collaborative efforts across all the domains of interest are going to really propel these innovative ideas and really push the boundaries of what is going to be created in this world. And so having this kind of trifecta of collaboration happening in this class open their eyes to saying like, yeah, this is this is real. Like we need to talk to these other people. We need to start connecting to not the dots across these domains of interest. And um, I also had them work in groups. So it wasn't an isolated event either in that in that respect. And so having our students do these things and then connect with outside entities really pushes that idea that what they're doing matters. And it's not just for a grade. It is for getting their ideas out into the world. It is for propelling innovation, it's for propelling thought. And they have some really amazing ideas. And some of them don't give themselves enough credit on how absolutely amazing their ideas are until they get that external feedback. And then that propels them even further to go, hey, I'm on to something. Maybe I can push it further. And so if we can make those connections or at least make those initial connections and then show them the open door that's right there for them to walk through. My hope is that there's going to be some students that are going to take those opportunities and move forward and um, really do something that's meaningful in this in industry beyond just making more things to make more things. Well, hopefully students listen to this because we're just going to shower them with praise, of course. But um, you want to talk a little bit about like just kind of what they were going through, their thought process. You were there with them throughout yeah. the whole experience. You saw the terror in their eyes. Yeah. You saw the excitement at the end of it. Um, I mean, you and I talked about how when you said, oh, we're going to work with NASA. Um, they all stood up, you know, sat up straighter in their in their chairs. Like, can you talk about just what they went through and it, from your perspective? Yeah. So um, I didn't actually disclose that we were going to be working with NASA or our other industry partner um, until we we got right up to when we gave out the assignment. So the first half of the semester, um, we're exploring the design thinking process and this nonlinear approach to design and talking about what is human-centered design, what is activity-centered design, um, what is creative thinking, 
we, you know, we pour over text and um, design sprints and we just kind of get their feet wet in this process. And then all of a sudden things got a little bit real for them when I'm like, by the way, we have this opportunity to work with NASA. We also have this opportunity to kind of bring forth these texts into this space. And we're going to be using this design methodology of design thinking and these different approaches to design. And it is something totally different than what they're used to doing. They're used to, you know, finding a problem, getting a solution, and then prototyping the heck out of it and just getting their hands dirty and wet and just testing and and going until they can tweak it until it actually works for the activity. Um, they, they definitely took a more activity-centered approach before they got to my, my classroom. And when I told them, this is a research conceptual-based project because you're not going to get your hands on this NASA tech, um, they they stood up straight and then they all went white <laughs> because it's not necessarily the process in which they had been exploring previously. And I, I got a little nervous, but then I go, no, this is good for us. This is good for them. This is good for me to push those bounds of what design can be and what it can look like and the different types of um, modalities it can kind of fit into. So they they were working in groups um and so you know of course there are dynamics there in group work especially at the collegiate level that can go all over the place right like some people really love group work some people really despise it um but i also gave them techniques and um kind of tools to work with for team management strategies and the project was laid out in such a way that it could easily be differentiated and delineated to different team members. Um, so it wasn't just overwhelming for one person, but also one person couldn't do the whole thing and everybody had to carry their own weight. Uh, so that was an interesting kind of like dichotomy that occurred there where they were learning very much team management skills and people relations between their groups. Uh, there were some issues, but I think they got smoothed out pretty quickly early on and they really wanted to succeed. And I think that was the thing that propelled their, their team building activities and methodologies for completion of this gigantic project that I gave them is that they were like, there are people here that are going to be watching us, not just me. I could tell them till I'm blue in the face, like what's important in this world. And they're going to believe me for the short amount of time that I'm in front of them. But usually when I see with students, it's like, if I'm, I'm just going to work towards getting a grade, I'm just going to work towards getting a grade and whatever pleases you to get that grade is what I'm going to pursue with this project. It felt different. This project was not necessarily about chasing that a, it was about, wow, we're going to be in front of NASA and this other entity okay, I got to actually bring it. If I'm going to say that I'm going to be doing this, I better do it. I better bring it and I better show them what I got. And um, as we got closer to the presentation, I could tell that they were like a little bit of anxiety kind of bubbling up to the surface. So we spent a lot of time prepping for that presentation. And um, I had them practicing and timing themselves. And when it came, you know, to the shotgun of, okay, now it's, excuse me, <clears throat> today's the day. Um, 
I, I walked up into our kind of class area. We were in the library for this class, and they each had their individual rooms uh, for this presentation because the feedback of too many computers in one room on a Zoom call is just pretty pretty nasty. So I, I remember walking up there about 15 minutes early just so I could set up and seeing students in each of these open-aired rooms or these glass rooms practicing their speeches and making sure that they had their timing down and like giving each other mock questions. And so when they are actually presenting, I mean, they did it with such professionalism. They were all timely. They, they, had, they had about 10 minutes to pitch their idea that they had worked on and researched in depth uh, over the course of the um, midterm onto the end of the semester. So that's about eight weeks. And that's a lot of research and that's a lot of ideation. That's a lot of context to kind of squish down into 10 minutes. And so that in and of itself was a challenge for them to approach. So how they felt about it, I think they, um, they felt all the things about it at some point in the process. I think they, they all weren't very pleased with me for a while because of the amount of work that I had them do, um, the amount of in-depth kind of substantiating your claims that they would come to me with, a, with an idea and I'd be like, and how does that, how do you know that? Who said that? Where did you find that? And they'd be like, um, um, I'm gonna get back to you on that. I'm like, okay, yes you will. And you will get back to me cited correctly. And they did. But they—that's not something they were—they were totally used to. Um, so by the end, like I said before, I was up in our classroom, and everybody was kind of scattered around the library in their individual rooms that they had rented. And as soon as we closed out, I had like half of the students or more coming into that room, going, "Oh, I can't believe they said that about my project. This is amazing. I want to do more with this." And they felt that sense of satisfaction at the end. And so that was where I said, okay, we're on to something. This hurt, but it was a butterfly moment. And now you kind of bloomed out and uh, you you have that propulsion forward into to kind of continuing on. I've been reading their self-reflections uh, from this project and from the class in general. And a few of them had said like, hey, I've never thought of design in this way. I've always kind of just like hit the ground running, found the problem, found the solution and just prototyped it. And um, this has started me thinking about observing more and doing more of an ethnographic approach to design and understanding the human and understanding the activity and understanding, um, you know, function and all of these other ideas that we had talked about in class and then the texts that we had read and many of them gave examples of how they're implementing it into their other studio classes that they have and how it's kind of pushed them beyond where they felt comfortable and now they're 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 implementing these ideas elsewhere and that's really the true sign of a i think i think a good class and of pure learning and application and it wasn't there this class wasn't formulated and these projects aren't formulated to chase that grade but to learn something and to have context for that thing and then to take that and to apply it down the line that that to me is success and so i feel really good about it and i'm really happy we did it and i'm i'm going to probably tweak a couple of things 
so I don't cause as much undue stress as I probably did. Um, but to push it a little bit further into the next kind of iteration of this class. So I, I take the same approach with my teaching and my classes as I do when I teach this design thinking classes. It's an iterative approach. It's nonlinear and we can always improve and we can always learn something as we continue to kind of tinker around with the design. That's great. Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, uh, what or which projects really stuck out to you? Are there any that really jumped out at you? Um, I think we should highlight a couple of them for sure. Um, I think they were all incredible in their professionalism and the concept and the application of the material. But are there any that, that really jumped out to you or you particularly enjoyed? Yeah, I mean, Chase, they were all wonderful, honestly. I mean, they were, I was just blown away by the professionalism, the creativity, just the inspiring products that they were coming up with based on some NASA technology. There were a few that stood out to me, um, and, and it wasn't because they were necessarily better than anyone else. It was just maybe that product or that particular solution that they were solving was more akin to something I was interested in personally, right? And so I know uh, the group that was doing the skid plates for off-road vehicles, you know, I've got a Toyota 4Runner. I get it, right? And so I'm like, yeah, this is some really cool stuff. But the other part that really stuck with me on that particular project was, and, and I want to really hit this point quite clearly, is it's not just about taking NASA technology and doing these cool creative product design activities, but it's where those products couldn't go, right? And it's not just a consumer market. So when I saw the skid plate ideas, I'm thinking about, wow, you're talking about rough terrain, um, harsh environments, you don't want to get stuck. What comes to my mind from a space application is astronauts in a lunar rover, right? So if you've got students looking at innovative materials to employ for skid plates and, and undercarriages of, of off-road vehicles, there's potentially a direct application back to the space program for that type of project to engage with, you know, either folks at JPL doing planetary rovers going to Mars or the human spaceflight side, you know, you, you don't want to get stuck on the moon, right? And so uh, that type of innovation and, and, and product caught my attention for those reasons, right? The personal side of it, but then also that spin back to NASA of thinking around like, wow, okay, this would be an opportunity where if that design progressed, you know, there might be some benefit of trying to find some of the rover designers at NASA to come in and just have a phone call with those students and just talk about applicability for space-based rovers or planetary rovers. So that one stuck out to me. I, plus, it was just, it was really great. And the team did a great job with it. Um, the folks doing the the RoboGlove design, right, the, the kind of assist grip assist kind of technology for climbing gloves and and other things i thought wow what a creative way to take a, a spa another space-based technology and use it in multiple products right and and really look at the physiology from a human perspective what's going on in the hand what's going on with fatigue and the capillary action of the blood vessels and and all that type of stuff in cold temperatures and i thought this was a very thoughtful approach to solving a real world need but and they didn't just take the technology as is they were redesigning it and getting rid of you know a couple of the motors and and changing things up so i thought that was a very inventive, creative thing to do with that particular technology. And again, I think there's this broad application for that that product out in the world. And so I was really inspired by that. And and then the um, 
the biofeedback uh, technology for running performance just blew me away. I mean, one, it was just incredible design, and I was like, "This is this is really great concept work." I, I loved the the creativity, the design itself, but. It was a little bit different than than some of the other teams. It was looking at kind of that software algorithm, you know, sensor feedback loop, which is, I think, a big challenge depending on where the students are coming from with their technical background. And so to dig in on that sensor technology and the algorithms and look at it from a particular um, sports performance, individual performance, you know, for something like running, I thought was incredible, right? I just was like, yes, I could see there's a huge market for a product like this. And the fact that it's based on some NASA tech is even cooler, right? And then that ability to spread beyond to other sports. And so that one really stuck with me. I still would love to see that one out on the market. I'd, I'd go get it myself. So that one was, that was really cool. So that was just a few, but again, that's not to say that any of the other ones were lesser than, than any of those. Those were just the three that stuck out to me for those reasons. But overall, I mean, huge win by the teams. I thought, I mean, just a, a great, great amount of work and effort. And it showed in the presentations, like I said, very professional, fantastic job by every one of them. I'm I'm curious. Um, where do you both want to see this uh, partnership go in the future? Where I mean, where do you see the potential of of this? I I know that we we would love to do something again. I think there's plenty of opportunity to and uh, plenty of materials to experiment with in the future as well. Um, but what does the future of this type of partnership look like, or what what do you both hope to hope, or where do you hope to see it goes? Julie, or you want to start? Go ahead, Julie. Okay. Um. <laughs> So I I thought it was really neat that students had these this ability to kind of um, realize that NASA is accessible. Uh, one of my teens was working with a self uh, healing or punctured polymer. I don't know if I said that correctly. If you puncture something, it has a polymer inside, and then it self heals over time. Um, and they were having a really hard time, kind of wrapping their heads around, like, how does this work? Where would this be applicable? What is it? What does it weigh? What is it? What is it? What are all these things? All these questions. I'm like, I don't know. Let me find out for you. And I contacted Chris with their list of questions. He goes, Why don't we just get you in contact with the inventor? And so. I connected these students with the inventor and they had a full-on couple hour interaction with this inventor who told them all the things and then some that they needed to know about this NASA material and how they could implement it into their design and what it would mean for their product. which I thought was really awesome. So more of that, more of that connection with like the inventor and to understand so they have a real person they can ask these real questions to instead of digging through, you know, with their dictionary open next to the patent so they can understand all that jargon within within that text. Um, I loved that and I'd like to see more of it. I would love to, you know, actually get my hands on some of these product so they can, you know, prototype and test out. I don't know how feasible that actually is. Um, And then, you know, maybe dig into some of these kind of grant opportunities that you had mentioned before and like connecting these students that have these standout projects to these other kind of opportunities um, to talk to more people at NASA to maybe visit and see where your testing facilities are so that they understand like the process of testing these prototypes. Um, it just, I could see this branching out into a really beautiful tree 
that can really climb to some really amazing heights. And I think that the opportunities are are there and are endless. We just have to make those dots and connections. That's great. Chris, thoughts there? Um, everything Julie said and, um, <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I, yeah. And then some, well, I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to have some guest speakers we've talked about a little while ago and just getting some of the, the folks from like the Johnson soft goods lab, you know, where we, we stitch up the materials for EVA suits and maybe some of the tool developers, right. As I mentioned before, you know, going back to the moon, we're going to have to go develop hand tools literally for the astronauts to use on the lunar surface and what does that look like so in a way not just sharing technology but sharing design experience and perhaps methodologies about designing for harsh environments what is it like to design a pickaxe for a ungloved hand versus a gloved hand right you know and and you know you've got to protect the human inside the suit but you also have to have that dexterity and mobility so that they can use the tools and and that adds a level of complexity to the design of the ultimate you know product or tool and so getting to share some more of that i think would be uh, just a great bonus for you all. And I think in a similar format to this, have it recorded so you could continue to to reuse those materials. Um, I love the idea about getting some of the students, you know, to NASA facilities and, and let them see how things would be tested, um, you know, wind tunnels and ice labs and, and different things to really look at, hey, here's how we test, you know, aircraft wings, or here's how we test EVA suits. And yeah, it may look completely foreign and alien to what you would, you know, test for a, an outdoor backpack per se, but the methodologies are similar, right? And so sharing those types of experiences, I think would would be great. Um, but yeah, more technology, um, different applications, just broadening that portfolio and that funnel of things. And then the grant opportunities of, you know, if we can find uh, researchers who want to collaborate with the students or with uh, Utah State on maturing some of the technologies or, or particular products. Um, internship opportunities would be great for students who are interested, right? I know it may be out of left field for some of them if they went into the program thinking their career was going to go one direction and then, hey, there's an opportunity to perhaps intern with NASA and, and what do you think about that? And so, you know, I'd like to mature some of those those concepts and abilities to do that. And uh, I think this first semester was a great a great run at what this could look like, and we'll just keep building off of that because I think the potential is there, right? And and the programs from the NASA side are there. It's just a matter of stitching everything together. No, that's great. I I agree. There's a lot lot to come in the future, a lot of opportunity. But I, I guess any parting thoughts from from both of you as we kind of wrap up the conversation? I I know from my my perspective, I wasn't a participant, but I was I was I was observing, and and it was incredible to see the students work on the projects and and get the chance to work with you, Chris, and and you know participate a little bit in integrating this. Um, it was just amazing to see the, the results. So I'm, I'm excited to do it all again um, at the next next design thinking class. But what any parting thoughts from you on on just the experience overall? 
Overall, great experience. I, I love the program. I love what y'all are doing there. It's fantastic. I think I've said to you both before, if I was 20 years younger, I'd be there signing up to go through the program myself. I mean, it was just incredibly inspiring um, and and just uh, seemingly a fantastic program. I got to visit with you all a little bit in September and tour some of the facilities. And and it's, it's inspiring. It's an incredible thing that y'all are doing there. And I'd love to see you taking it to that next level with some NASA technology and really challenging the students because that's what it's all about it's a safe space to be challenged and and to struggle a little bit you know their job's not on the line right they're, they're not going to get fired yeah the, the grade may be harder but um what a great place to to explore and to learn and to grow so i'm, I'm just grateful for the opportunity you all are bringing to the students um but love what you're doing you know love to continue participating continue to have nasa engage in what you're doing and if we can add any value to it we will certainly do that julie parting thoughts oh uh, i just thought it was a, a great implementation of this class and using like the you know the, the the nice trifecta of industry of the university and of nasa um to solve these these problems these design problems and to really propel innovation in its truest, truest sense forward. And I am very excited to see what these students are going to do in their future now that the, the seed has been planted. And um, I just want to just continue to kind of, you know, tinker with this class and like the, the methods in which we kind of go about doing these projects and to keep growing it and to keep finding opportunities for growth and for movement forward. So I, I'm just very pleased. Um, everybody, you know, they all passed. So like everyone did great. And um, I'm just very, very excited to kind of continue with this relationship and to see where we can kind of push some of these other projects that were standouts a little bit, a little bit further and to see how they kind of function in the world. So amazing. Thank you. Uh, Chris, how, how do people stay in touch with the uh, commercialization team. What's the best way to? I mean, you mentioned a link earlier um, in the episode, uh, but if people want to look at the portfolio of technologies or connect with the um, tech transfer team, how would they do that? Yeah, so I did mention the links at technology.nasa.gov is a great place to just go cruise around the portfolio of technology and software. If you're interested in other cool spin-off stories or success stories of people who have taken a NASA tech and turned it into a commercial product or service, there's spinoff.nasa.gov. And so those are just some free resources, has a has a bunch of cool content. But staying connected with myself or other points of contact that I've introduced you all to with NASA um, and the tech transfer offices. Actually, the technology.nasa.gov website, um, there's a contact us link there that shows all of um, myself and my equivalents from around the agency and contact information. So if, if anybody knows of about a technology at a different center that they want to go engage with and it's not a Johnson Space Center, you can reach out directly to them. But the easiest thing to do is stay in touch with me, stay in touch with my my um, folks at Johnson Space Center and just maintain that relationship, stay connected, ask questions, you know, probably we should set up like a monthly or quarterly tag just to make sure we're helping move things forward depending on your course schedule and, and how things um, 
how things look for you all in the future. But yeah, just stay plugged in. So you've already you've already done the hard part, which is got an NASA contact, right? You you already got the point of contact. You've got you've got a semester under your belt now using some NASA technology. The rest of it is just kind of easy moving forward, I think. So well, that's great. Well, it's been amazing to see and looking forward to more uh, partnerships in the future. So thank you both for taking the time to share a little bit about your experience. This is awesome. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.